0: This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast.
1: This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why
0: each one of us is here.
1: And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I am really excited to be joined by special guest, Kyle Yates of the Fantasy Pros Podcast, Kyle I know I've been privileged to be on the Fancy Pros Football Podcast a couple times. I am really excited to have you on mine this evening. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great, man. It is so nice to be podcasting again. We hit the end of the regular season and then we just, you know, just dropped off. We took a break, right? We said, all right, we need to catch our breath. But now I'm bored, man. Like, I, I want to <laughs> podcast again. So to be able to to jump on with you, I'm happy to do it, man. Excited to talk some of these uh, these rookies as we look back at year one.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So before we dig into kind of recapping the rookies from this first uh from their first year in the NFL, we'd be remiss if we didn't even at least mention the national championship game was played this Monday night. So many big names on both sides there for Alabama, for Ohio State. Any quick thoughts in terms of Big picture, what you think of Justin Fields or Najee Harris, Devonta Smith. I mean, those guys are going to go early in the NFL draft, go early in dynasty rookie drafts. And then some guys on the peripheral like Mac Jones, if you maybe think he's worthy of a first round pick. And then even you know guys like Chris Olave are going to be names that we're talking about. Any thoughts on some of these guys from the national title game?
0: Oh yeah, for sure. And I think we could spend a whole hour podcast just talking about that national championship game and looking at some of the scout, uh, the, the players in there, the prospects, but you know, just overarching thoughts like Devonte Smith, like good night, man. Like, I don't know what else this kid has to do for us to start talking about him as a top five wide receiver in this class. So with Devonta, it's going to be interesting to just see where exactly he lands, where exactly he goes. People are talking about him all the way up at the number three overall pick in the 2021 NFL draft. and reuniting him with Tua Tunga-Vailoa in Miami. I don't know if I'm there yet. I think that I, I'm still going to have Jamar Chase ranked above him, but yet that is not to say that Devonta Smith is doing some special things on the football field and that he's going to do that again in the NFL. Najee Harris, I don't know how you see his performances over the past couple weeks and say that he isn't. RB one in this class too. So I think Harris is a three down back. He's a prototypical three down back. He can bring uh, some size to the position, speed and uh, versatility, obviously with his receiving ability. So yeah, he's someone that's just going to be special in the NFL. And I think that he is going to be pushing for the number one overall pick in dynasty rookie drafts. You know, we typically see, the running backs be elevated there. And especially in a class that doesn't have a ton of top tier talent at the running back position, Harris is going to go pretty high. Uh, As far as the other names you mentioned, I mean, Justin Fields, I think, you know, we, (laughs) he wasn't at hundred percent. If he had come out here and he had thrown for 400 yards and five touchdowns or whatever, I think we would have a much more closer conversation about what to do with that number one overall pick in the NFL draft. Alas, he didn't do that. He wasn't at hundred percent. So I think that he is still solidified for me into that QB2, QB3 conversation in this class. I think that he's going to be a very, very good pro and uh, has a bright future ahead of him. Mac Jones is an interesting one. Uh, I think that I have not sat down yet uh, and evaluated him from a tape perspective. But just from what I saw, obviously... Very similar to what Tua Tagovailoa brought to Miami last year, right? Where Or brought to Alabama last year. We're just getting the ball out, right? Getting the ball out into the playmaker's hands, and he thrives on that. So if you have the, the playmakers and the weapons around him in the NFL, he can be a solid, solid uh, quarterback. But yet I think that if you try to turn him into something where it's like carry this offense all by yourself, I don't know if he's going to be able to do that. But again, I have yet to sit down and fully evaluate him. Uh, that was just kind of a snapshot. So, yeah, I mean, it was a fun game. Alabama just continues to dominate in college football. It's ridiculous. And, uh, I mean, the recruiting class that they had from several years ago and now looking at the recruiting class that they just brought in, looks like it could be even better. So it's just ridiculous, man. They just continue to dominate in college football.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if to sp- stop and think about the fact that last year, Tua was throwing to Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle, Henry Ruggs, and Jerry Judy. Like, I mean... You can make the case, I I think it's gonna be hard press in our lifetime to ever see a wide receiver class A wide receiving group in college that's better than that. Four guys who are going to be first round picks, potentially four like top 20 picks in the NFL draft is just remarkable. I'm right there with you on most of your takes. I've been saying all year on Mac Jones. I think he's a good college player, really good college player. I have some reservations that if he gets pushed into round one, I'm uncomfortable with that. The way the NFL is nowadays, I do think, I do think it's so important to be able to have an athletic piece to your game in terms of not not so much just picking up yards and being like Lamar Jackson, but just moving around the pocket, navigating the pocket, throwing off structure or off platform. He's more of a throwback, traditional pocket passing quarterback and a reference that I've used here. And it doesn't come across great, but you know Mason Rudolph hasn't been successful in the NFL. He was a very good, successful college quarterback at Oklahoma State. He got the ball out to his playmakers. James Washington was one of them. He had other guys there too, and he put up really excellent stats. He was a day two guy all along. You know, The Steelers took him. We're hoping that he groomed into it. That's kind of how I see Mac Jones. So yeah, the Mason Rudolph comp, when you talk about how much Rudolph has not had success at the NFL level, comes across as bad. But once upon a time, people thought Rudolph was a rock solid day two quarterback prospect. And I think that's kind of the world that I feel comfortable kind of putting Mac Jones in, in terms of projecting to the next level. Devonta Smith, Jamar Chase, I think it's now a toss up. And it's remarkable because before the year, I think people probably had... Rashad Bateman ahead of Devonta Smith, Jalen right. Waddell because of the speed factor, probably ahead of Devonta Smith. You know, maybe Rondell Moore out of Purdue ahead. And now Devonta Smith has leapfrogged all of them. At this point now, I think it's a, a two man race uh for, for the top wide receiver. And it's Jamar Chase. It's, you know, uh Devonta Smith. I think both of them have a legitimate chance to go in the top ten or top twelve picks in the NFL draft. I understand it's a it's something that needs to be talked about in terms of his weight, his his frame, but let's not focus too much on that. I think he's an outlier. I think on the broadcast or recently somewhere, I heard people saying Marvin Harrison. I think that's a really good comparison You know, for his size and frame and how he wins. I think he's a special player. I agree with you. Najee Harris has jumped over Travis Etienne for me as my RB1, because I do think he's more of a rebound down back. Uh, Travis Etienne is, is a little bit You know, lacking in terms of the passing game. I think he's okay in terms of checkdowns. He showed some improvement in terms of his hands, but I think Najee is a little bit more of a complete back. I do think both of them gone probably within the top 40 picks of the NFL draft. Uh, You know, and then Justin Fields uh, here at Saturday to Sunday, we think he's closer to Trevor Lawrence than Zach Wilson is to him it sounds like maybe the NFL thinks that a little differently and they think it's more Lawrence by himself and then legitimate toss up between fields and Zach Wilson. And I do think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Was it, was it you from fantasy pros who tweeted out about Trey Lance?
0: And that would be me. Yep.
1: Okay. Because we are, we, I am big fans of Trey Lance. I think the comparison should be more Trey Lance, Zach Wilson. And for me, Justin Fields is locked in at the number two spot. And I think there's a legitimate, uh, discussion about who's quarterback three. and if Trey Lance played this whole year. I think right. he might be in that mix. Yep. So let, let's transition this to what the, the main focus of the show is. And that's kind of looking back on these rookies from their first seasons in the NFL, you know, whether it's performance on the field, foreshadowing fantasy, you know, off season buying, selling, you know, stock up, stock down, however you kind of want to take it. Let's start the quarterback position. I don't think anybody envisioned a scenario in last summer or after last year's NFL draft that if we fast forward one NFL season, that we would be looking at this quarterback class and potentially say going into the off season, Tua would be number four of the quarterback prospects. But I think it's legitimately the way that I rank it. And I understand anybody who has it ranked like that. I think some people You know, based on their love of Tua's talent, it maybe still has them ahead of, you know, Burrow, Herbert or or Hertz. So I'm interested to kind of see how you kind of look at these guys, their rookie years, kind of foreshadowing moving into the offseason and year two, what you kind of make out of this quarterback class, because there's a lot of intrigue with these guys.
0: There really is. And I think with Tua, it's a weird balance because anything that everything that we saw from Tua this past year didn't indicate that he should be above Burrow or Herbert, but yeah, at the same time, I want to give them a little bit more time, right? Like we say this all the time with rookie quarterbacks and rookie tight ends. Let's give them three years before we come down and say like, this is, this was our evaluation. We missed, we, we hit on their evaluations or whatever. So with Tua, I still want to see Miami surround him with some actual playmakers. Like Devonte Parker is great, but he wasn't, he was in and out of the lineup. Preston Williams wasn't there. I mean, you're, he's throwing a Jakeem Grant, Mike Kosicki. who's hobbled the entire, like, let's see them surround him with some Playmakers that fit his skill set, kind of similar to what we saw with uh, him at Alabama, and of course, the wide receiver group that you mentioned there. So, with two, I don't, I don't want to overreact too much, but yet we definitely saw Herbert come out of nowhere. I don't know where you stood on Herbert heading into this past season, but I was not a fan based on his college tape and what I had seen. Yes, he saw, yes, he had the tools and the traits to be great in the NFL, but yet his college tape. I mean, I just went back recently and I was watching Penny Sewell tape. Uh, the offensive tackle from Oregon and I was watching Herbert and knowing now what I know about Herbert I was just shocked I was like this doesn't even look like the same quarterback so Herbert has definitely ascended it's a conversation of where you want to put him as far as one or two I'm still going to go with my pre-draft evaluations and lean into the grade that I gave with Burrow everything that I saw from Burrow in, uh, before the injury led me to believe that he's still going to be an excellent quarterback in the NFL for a long time. And Herbert too. Herbert's right behind him though. Uh, With Hertz, it's an interesting conversation again, because what does Philadelphia do? Do they go into this next season now after firing Doug Peterson, which I believe that there were some reports that said like the rift was between Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson. Well, looking at Wentz's contract, you can't get out of it. Like he is, you have to make it work with Carson Wentz. And so with Hertz, he played well in some spots. It was more of a backyard football type of game rather than a refined NFL quarterback. And so that's concerning moving forward. I think he's still going to be the backup in Philadelphia next year. I think they are going to find a way to make it work with Carson Wentz. So he he lands probably at four for me in this class. I'll put two at three, but then Herbert and Burrow above him in uh, at two and one respectively.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you're spot on there with, if Wentz is back in Philadelphia, then I don't even think it's a conversation, right? Then obviously Tua, he's going to be a starter next year. I mean, obviously there were some whispers about maybe a blockbuster, right. Deshaun Watson, uh, you know, for Tua swap. I think that's a little bit more fantasy than, than real life, but who knows, Uh, you know, that obviously would have major ramifications, you know, in terms of fantasy in the NFL. But yeah, if, if Wentz is still there, then obviously John Hurts is the backup. If he is the starter, I think that's where it gets really interesting because we know he has that running capability. We know how much weight that carries in fantasy football. Uh so that that would be an interesting one. And yeah I had Burrow ahead of Herbert for sure before the pre-draft. What Herbert's done in the NFL has been unlike anything they asked him to do in college. So it might have been right. that they just didn't maximize his skill set. I don't think they realized or they just didn't want to play a, a type of brand that pushed the ball vertically down the field at Oregon, and they didn't really maximize his skill set. And then once he got to you know Los Angeles, they realized what they had in him. Maybe they even saw it in the pre-draft process a little bit, what he could be. But he he's been leaps and bounds better. I thought he warranted a first round pick. I thought he was maybe, you know, I thought Tua should have been taken ahead of him. I thought, you know, there was all that talk that they were okay with whoever they got. And, you know, in in the long run, it looks like they might be right on that. I do think it's a legitimate question, though, about him and Burrow, just because of how good we saw him and more running capabilities. I think they both have Good pieces and hopefully good offenses built around them. If they can protect both of them, need upgrades on the offensive line. So I think I think it's interesting between them. But you're kind of right. I think Burrow, the pre-draft eval, still favored Burrow for me. So you know, in that regards, I think you know if we don't take into account too much the injury factor, I can understand having Burrow at one. If we take that into account. Maybe, you know, Herbert being ahead of him, I understand that as well. But, you know, it's rare we have this many quarterbacks to talk about and guys who are fantasy viable right from right from the get go. You know, Burrow, you know, Herbert and even down the stretch, like you said, Jalen Hurts had some very fantasy viability and in all types of leagues, you know, from daily to Dynasty to redraft as well. Let's uh, spin this over to the running backs because that's another really interesting conversation. You know, obviously after the the NFL draft, but before the NFL draft, I should say, most people had a consensus top five. After the NFL draft, I think everybody had a consensus top five, and in in, in in some order, it was everyone had a different order. Most people had Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at number one. A lot of people had Jonathan Taylor two, J.K. Dobbin three, you know, and then DeAndre Swift four, you know, and then Cam Akers five. That was that was more of the generic order uh, after the draft in most rookie drafts. But you know, now we're full year in. I think two more names got to be added to that mix. One is Antonio Gibson he looked fantastic at times running the ball and they didn't even really maximize i think his best skill set which is getting him the ball as a receiver you know as he played a lot of receiver in college and i think he's very raw to the running back position with a lot of upside and then james robinson who i keep keep ad- i keep pushing on here that should be a sell high And maybe I'm going to look really foolish if they don't bring anybody in and and they get Trevor Lawrence and their offense, you know, jumps, leaps and bounds. And maybe this guy's here to stay as a top 15 back. So I think these seven guys are are fascinating. How do you kind of look at it moving ahead into this offseason? Is there one or two names that you think you would sell maybe on the high level? and is there one or two that you would maybe be looking to buy are you concerned about Clyde edwards hilaire and and what we saw or because he's still attached to that KC offense you're willing to have you know some patience there
0: yeah, uh it's really interesting. So as far as a sell high, I'm I'm with you a little bit in James Robinson. Now, I'm kind of in between, and I know that that's kind of like the coward's way of answering this, but like with James Robinson, I've told people on the Fantasy Pros football podcast, I'm like just wait, just hold him because you don't know unless you get a ridiculous offer for James Robinson, there's a wide range of outcomes here with robinson heading into 2021 do we see the jacksonville jaguars with all of their cap space like we have to talk about that not just their amount of draft picks that they have but also the cap space where they can look at the running back position we can say we can upgrade this like aaron jones is going to be a free agent what's to prevent aaron jones them from throwing significant money at aaron jones front loading the contract and saying, come play here for a couple of years, right? Like at that point, James Robinson becomes irrelevant. I fully expect them to add someone at some point, right? Whether it is a complimentary piece, whether it is someone to fully take over that job there, I expect Jacksonville to add someone and James Robinson's value was just pure volume, right? Like volume is King. And so with James Robinson, I think that I'm willing to hold him right now because what happens if they don't? What happens if they don't add anyone and they upgrade every other position with the cap space, with the quarterback, with Trevor Lawrence, then this offense, I mean, James Robinson could be a league winner in 2021. So I think that unless you can get a ridiculous offer for Robinson, I'm kind of playing a little bit, uh, I'm playing it safe here a little bit and saying like, let's just hold on to him right now because he does have such a wide range of outcomes.
1: Let me jump in for one second there about James Robinson. Is there a, and it could be ballpark. I'm putting you on the spot. Is there a pick? You know, most, most dynasty rookie drafts now have been set in terms of the order. Is there a spot where you would say, I'd pull the trigger and take my chances? Is it top five definite? Is it five to 10? Would you trade them for any first round pick at this point? Like, is there somewhere in your mind where you say, okay, that's a good enough offer that I'm willing to pull the trigger. If it's not that, then I'll just hold out and kind of wait and see what happens.
0: Yeah, that's such a good question. I think it would have to be top five for me, and I think it might even have to push into top three because when we talk about the running, what are who are you going to replace them with, right? So with the running backs that are coming in of Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, and Javante Williams, those are kind of the guys that are at the top. You have some other guys who could factor in of Michael Carter, a teammate of Javante Williams at UNC, or um, I just did a complete. Trey Sermon, like there are some other names that, uh, oh, Kenneth Gainwell at Memphis too. Like those are the names that I think you could make a case that they could make an impact in the NFL, but Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, or Javante Williams, you'd know that they're going to get a significant, they're going to land in a spot that's going to give them significant work. And so at that point, if I am not going to be able to get a guarantee of one of those three players, it's going to be hard for me to say, okay, I'll get Kenneth Gainwell, but he's going to be in a rotational backfield or something like that, right? Like, At that point, the value doesn't play out. So top five, that's the conversation for me to sell James Robinson, maybe even top three.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think your points in terms of, you know, if they were to surround everything else is the, is the other side of what I've been saying here. Like I've been saying, I think they will add a top two pick or a free agent, which will then would make me want to sell them for any first round rookie pick. And I've been saying if someone was willing to buy during the year, I would, but, but then the, the counterpoint, which, which you just put perfectly was if they don't, and what if they upgrade everything else, then you might have just sold out on a, on a, on a league winner who's going to be going top. Fifteen or sixteen in redraft leagues, and you might have just sold them for the ninth or tenth rookie pick. Which, right. if you need a running back, might be talking about a third-round guy. I mean, I don't. I think there's only going to be two guys in the top fifty of the NFL draft, and then you mix in that next tier of Javante Williams and Trey Sermon and guys like that. But who's to know? Like, they can end up in situations kind of like Zach Moss and Devin Singletary. Like, and then obviously you would prefer to have James Robinson. So he's a really interesting one. What about what about the at the top going into the offseason? And how would you rank the, the rookies in terms of who would be your top three that you would be most interested, you know, or, or just in general, not even interested in buying who would be your top three rookie running backs going into year two? Would it be Jonathan Taylor still cloud Everett to and JK Dobbins? Would you fit in any of these other guys ahead of them?
0: Yeah. So Jonathan Taylor for sure is locked into that number one spot for me. Just, we saw him start to take over that workload at the end of the season. And I think even if they do bring Marlon back back or Jordan Wilkins, like you're still going to see him be receive a significant workload. And he was my number one rated running back coming out. So yeah, I think you got to, I got to still put Jonathan Taylor there. Uh, Deandre Swift is in that conversation for me too, because we started to see him get the main workload and he's just an insanely talented running back and can be a, a true three down workhorse. So it's going to be interesting with the head coach and who they bring into Detroit and the offense and the offensive philosophy. What does that look like? Are they going to continue to do this like split workload at the running back position? Cause that could bump Deandre Swift out of my top three but J.K. Dobbins uh, heading into next year, I think he's got to be in that conversation as well. So that would probably be the top three right now. And then, But, man, it's so hard to leave someone like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out of that top three. I mean, Antonio Gibson. Uh, we talked about James Robinson. Cam Akers. Like, the workload that Akers saw towards the end of the season. It would be very difficult for me to put them outside that top three, but I just think these guys are going to be just difference makers down the stretch uh, heading into next season.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you're right. Jonathan Taylor was a guy that – as the year went on, he continued to move up my dynasty, you know, uh, running back rankings in terms of, you know, I had some concerns that he was maybe going to morph into a little bit Leonard Fournette-esque and be very touchdown dependent. I think, I think that's going to slowly start going by the wayside because, you know, he started to, Improve his vision as the year went on. I think I think he obviously is even more athletic than a guy like Leonard Fournette. So I think he needs to be at top. The the Clyde D one is so tough because Andy Reid just seems like he loves having a secondary piece in that backfield. So yeah, you're attached to Patrick Mahomes, but as good as that is to be attached to Patrick Mahomes, it also has its negatives, right? And the negatives are they throw right. the ball all the time because that works, you right. know, a lot of the time. To have that good of a, a passing team, you know, and that great, you know, all time elite quarterback type player, you know, in that offense. So I think you can make the case that you could slide him down behind these other guys. We start cam makers, you know, we know the Rams. I think Sean McElroy knows what Jared Goff is and isn't. So I think he realizes that Cam Akers and the run game might be, you know, his breadwinner moving forward for the next couple of years. DeAndre Swift was my number one back after just on film eval last year. Obviously after pick, being picked by the Lions, he wasn't that way, you know, post draft, but on talent alone, him and J.K. Dobbins were my two favorite on talent alone, followed third by Jonathan Taylor. You really can make a case for like, any of these guys really, you know, you can make a strong case for anyone. I think Jonathan Taylor should be one. And then you can go a lot of ways ranking it two through six and even two for seven. If you throw James Robinson to the mix, you know, going back to what we were talking about before with draft picks, I got to be honest with you. If you need a running back and you know your league, if you, if you know your league enough to think that Najee Harris, Travis Ethan are going one, two, I don't must be willing to offer any other rookie pick. For any of these guys, if you need a running back. If you're like, I'm really stacked at the wide receiver position, I need a running back, go aggressively make an offer for J.K. Dobbins. Maybe his owner's a little frustrated by Baltimore and maybe thinking they're gonna have a two-man backfield or Cam Akers and Darrell Henderson or, you know, whatever, the unknown about Detroit. I would I would aggressively try to go get any of those guys for a first round pick if you need a running back you know, provided it's not the first or second pick and maybe, you know, you're more intrigued by Travis Eaton or not Jay Harris. So yeah. So those guys really stand out alone. Is there anybody else that if you were going to take a flyer on, get on a cheap trade, stash them on your, on your dynasty roster, you know, obviously the next guys that are well-known are, are Zach Moss, AJ Dillon, Keyshawn Vaughn, you know, Anthony McFarlane, you know, down the line, you know, guys like that is you know, Eno Benjamin is a real sleeper. If Kenyan Drake was to leave, because Chase Edmonds is really not a full time, you know, three down back. Is there one or two under the radar guys that you'd be intrigued with buying early in the off season and kind of holding, and, and maybe things break right and they become a more integral part of the offense?
0: Yeah the the name that immediately popped to mind was Anthony McFarland, the running back out of Pittsburgh, uh, out of Maryland. So. I think that from what I was really, really impressed with him on tape and I love his game. Now, I don't think that he's going to be a true three down workhorse back. Uh, this offense in Pittsburgh is not looking great, but yet you're looking at Benny Snell. It's not the guy. James Connors, not the guy. I don't think they bring him back next year. So there are going to be a lot of changes here in Pittsburgh. And I think that you could see Anthony McFarland take a heavier uh, or more significant, excuse me, workload heading into 2021, the name that, you know, you mentioned it and I was like, oh yeah, that's the guy that I got to talk about is AJ Dillon. Now I'm not the biggest AJ Dillon fan, uh, was not the biggest AJ Dillon fan coming out of college, but yet looking at the opportunity in this offense led by Aaron Rodgers, I assume that Aaron Rodgers is going to be there for at least one or two more years. And I talked about Aaron Jones is a pen, uh, upcoming free agent. Like I could easily see Green Bay moving on and trying to justify the second round pick that they spent on AJ Dillon. So I think if you're going to take a flyer on anyone, Dillon's probably the guy that I would recommend because he could easily just walk his way into a James Robinson type workload uh, because of the body type that he has, so he can handle a significant workload, but then also the offense that he's in. So yeah, those would be the two guys that I would say, let's let's try to see if we can acquire them for cheap. But uh, yeah, AJ Dillon and Anthony McFarlane.
1: Yeah, I think I agree with you. After those top seven guys we talked about earlier, I think those are the two most intriguing. I think Zach Moss is okay. I didn't love him coming out of college. Some people were really big fans of him. The problem with Zach Moss is Devin Singletary is a solid functional back as well. And just like the the years where Cam Newton was such an impact inside the five yard line running the ball for Carolina, that's Josh Allen. So you know Devin Singletary and Zach Moss split the workload. I don't think anyone's really gonna you know push to be the lead lead guy there in like a sixty five thirty five or. A 70-30. They both are probably adequate, you know, in terms of catching passes. Obviously, Zach Moss profiles a little bit better than Devin Singletary, maybe inside the ten yard line. But Josh Allen is still so many of those touchdowns that you know. I, I think they're like okay, RB three, four types in like a dynasty setting. Not guys that you know. I want to have as my top two or top three running backs. I think Dylan would be the guy that's most intriguing because of the offense, like you talked about. So I think those are the guys and you're right. They might look at say, you know what? We're not going to give Aaron Jones that monster contract that he's probably going to get from somebody who's got a lot of cap space and needs to spend it. They might look at it as we can draft the guy in the third or fourth round and pair him with AJ Dillon and pair him with Jamal Williams and we'll be okay. And I think that could be green Bay's mindset, you know, moving into next year and really be cautious with that, that cap space in terms of not overspending at the running back position. We've seen so many big contract running back deals go south. I mean, Dallas is probably wishing they can get out of their contract to Ezekiel Elliott. Giants are soon going to have to make a decision about Saquon Barkley coming off a major injury. You know, we've seen obviously the Todd Gurley is the worst of the bunch in terms of what that did. So it can be really interesting to kind of see what Green Bay does there in terms of that and the impact it has on a young player like A.J. Dillon. Let's transition this to the pass catchers, and let's start with the one that doesn't warrant much conversation, but we'll get that out of the way first, and then we'll end end the episode talking wide receivers, which be a lot more in-depth. No tight ends this year really had much of an impact from the rookie class. Obviously, on the back stretch of the season, we saw Cole Komet be a little bit of a factor in, in fantasy football. You know, I think people are excited by the the thought of Adam Trapman and in that Sean Payton offense. We'll see he was a third-round pick from a small school. Uh, Devin Asiasi was a thing that people were really intrigued with, never really got much of an opportunity with, you know, uh, New England. You know, Harrison Bryant looked good in times, but they have Austin Hooper. I'm sure David Njoku's not too long for Cleveland. But from this tight end group, is there somebody, one or two names that if you can just say, you know what? tight end premium league, two tight end league or deep rosters. I'd like to have them on my team and just kind of wait it out another year or two, you know, and and see if they maybe develop. And do you look at Cole Komet as a type that could maybe crack a top six, you know, top seven? I feel like after that, you know, the tight end position is really very similar from like seven or eight all the way to like 20. Do you think Cole Komet has the skill set to maybe jump in that top seven or so or top six? And if not, is there any of these other guys that you take a flyer on?
0: It's so crazy to look back at my pre-draft evaluations of this class. I think at one and two, I had Thaddeus Moss out of LSU and Bryson Hopkins at number two. So uh, Thaddeus Moss was an undrafted free agent. I don't even know where he's at now. I don't think he even played this past year. And then Bryson Hopkins is like the fourth string tight end in uh, Los Angeles. So, yeah, it's really interesting to look at this class. No names just jump off the page and say, like, these are the guys that you got to go acquire. You got to go get them now before they explode. But I think Cole Komet is the guy that we got to talk about. And this offense in Chicago, uh, it's not going to be great. I don't know what they're going to do at the quarterback position. I'm a Bears fan. It sucks. It's gross. I don't know what we're doing. But uh, Cole Komet, they spend a second round pick on him. He's going to be heavily involved. And he showed enough this past uh, down the stretch to say, yeah, I think he can be something. Now, do I think he's going to jump into, like you said, the top six, top seven conversation? I don't personally. Uh, But when you do look at the tight end position, you say, I just want someone who's not going to give me zero any given week. I think that Cole Komet can be the guy that you can go out and acquire. I talked about him a few weeks ago. uh, Well, more than a few weeks ago. I talked about him right before I think the start of the fantasy football playoffs and said in your dynasty league, go get Cole Komet because super cheap. And I think that you can actually find him on the waiver wire in a lot of dynasty leagues at that point. So who knows? He might still be there in your uh, dynasty league on the waiver wire. I think you can go get him. And I think that he can be someone that you can plug in if you're in a pinch or just a nice depth piece. But I don't think that he's going to be someone who you can look back on next year and say, hey, we, we should have been talking about Cole Komet as a top six option at the tight end position.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think if everything was to break, right, if you're a Bears fan, or if you have him on your dynasty roster in deeper dynasty leagues, if everything breaks, right, I think the hope is that maybe he could become a Hunter Henry type player. And we've seen Hunter Henry, Hunter Henry is not this elite athlete, like, you know, some of the other freak positions at the tight end. He's not a top of the line route runner, but he's a really good player. He's a two-way tight end. And I think that's, Probably what they envisioned Cole Komet when they drafted him is he could be a guy similar to a Hunter Henry type player. So I think bear fans, that's what the hope is for him. And and for fantasy players, same thing. Like if, if he becomes Hunter Henry and he lives in that six to eight world or, you know, seven to nine world, I think you're probably pretty excited, uh, I'm, I'm a little intrigued still by Adam Trapman. He'd be the guy that, especially if Jared Cook ends up staying around one more year, I'm not sure he will, especially if Drew Brees moves on. Uh, Trapman would be the guy who would be intriguing there. Again, if Taysom Hill's the quarterback, I think all those secondary pieces after, you know, Michael Thomas are a little bit suspect and even, you know, intrigued to, to see what happens with Alvin Kamara's value in terms of how little we saw him. Uh, involved right. in the passing game. So there's a lot of layers there with the Saints, you know, based on whether or not Breeze is there. So interesting, not a lot to talk about. The the upcoming tight end class, will definitely give us more to talk about with Kyle Pitts, Pat Freyermouth, Brevin Jordan. Uh so this year's rookie class will be a lot more exciting to talk about pre draft and then post draft as well, at usually a position that takes some time, but some of these guys might be able to make an impact sooner than we're used to uh, for next year's season. So let's let's take us to the wide receiver position. And let me just kind of open the floor a little bit because there's just so many names. Like we could literally do a two hour show just on the wide receiver position at the rookies. So obviously Justin Jefferson one of the all-time great rookie seasons right up there with Randy Moss and Odell Beckham Jr like absolutely fantastic showed more than I think anybody anticipated right because all we heard about is you know, he struggled a little bit on the outside at LSU. That's why they moved him inside. Then he goes to the combine. He blows it up. No one expects him to run that fast, test out that well athletically. We quickly realized he can play outside and he was absolutely unbelievable, uh, this year. So the ceiling is through the roof for him. So if you you could share some thoughts on him and just maybe how high, you know, you would even value him in just general dynasty, you know, wide receiver rankings going into year two for him. But after that, I think it's a legitimate conversation of, of how to rank the next handful of guys, right? Do you still, you know, hold on to pre-draft evals, which probably would put guys like C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy next? You know, do we use this year as a way to look at it and say, you know, T Higgins who I was a big fan of a lot of people were down on going into uh his first season thinking that you know maybe he would have sh- difficulty separating I think we try to clump everybody together and think that all guys who are like him are going to be LaQuan Treadwell and, and struggle and that's right, not the case. Right. You know T Higgins, you know, very elite at the catch point. I think he showed he translates you know Brandon Ayuk had a really good year, especially with Debo in and out of the lineup. LaVisca Chenault is now going to be attached most likely to Trevor Lawrence. So so thoughts on Jefferson and just how, where maybe he puts in the, the entire wide receiver spectrum, just not the rookies, and then kind of how do you make that next group up after him? And do you hold on to your pre-draft takes still as much as maybe you want to, or do you have to adjust based on what we saw in his rookie year?
0: Of course. Yeah. So Jefferson, I mean, I have him at seven. <clears throat> Excuse me, goodness. I have him at 7 right now in my Total Dynasty Wide Receiver rankings and that's above guys like Chris Godwin, Calvin Ridley, Allen Robinson, Terry McLaurin and Amari Cooper. Like this this guy is for real. And I talked about him recently on our podcast and said like if I have Jefferson, I don't know if I'm moving him. Like no matter what offer I get I don't, unless it's something ridiculous, right? But like, I just don't, I don't know if I'm moving Justin Jefferson and that's the type of talent he is. I was a big believer in him. I have, met, I had him as my number three wide receiver on a tape perspective, uh, right behind Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. So I think Jefferson just moving forward, the the sky is the limit. You talked about it. The ceiling is through the roof. And I think that this guy is just someone who. Man, we just need to be talking about as a top ten dynasty asset and someone that I don't know if I'd be willing to move off of. After that, you are right; it gets very interesting. And I think that de- depending on who you talk to, it's gonna get you're gonna get a different order of these guys. But I think CD Lamb is the next guy up for me. It's been a long time since we saw CD Lamb attached to Dak Prescott, and so I think that in our minds, that like memory of how just how good CD Lamb was to start the season isn't there. Uh, but yet, we do need to remember that CD Lamb was playing extremely well out of the slot. You have Michael Gallup. You have Amari Cooper to take away attention. You're going to have Blake Jarwin back. I mean, assuming that Dak Prescott resigns in Dallas, that's going to be just a... I got him at 15 in my overall dynasty wide receiver rankings. So I don't want to forget about CeeDee Lamb. T Higgins is right behind him at 20. Uh, I think you and I need to talk more as we head into uh, draft rankings or draft season because I was very... Much in mind, uh, and lockstep there with you with T Higgins. I was a big fan of his and thought that he was a value in dynasty rookie drafts. So, yeah, T Higgins. Uh, and I, again, I talked about I'm a big fan of Joe Burrow, so I got to be a fan of T Higgins now moving into next year. I'm assuming no AJ Green, it's going to be him and Tyler Boyd. I'm assuming that they'll add someone else to be a compliment in that wide receiver room, but Higgins, just a uh, just I've got him at 20, so very, very high in my rankings and a very, very high ceiling. And then after that, I am still going to hold on hope to Jerry Judy. Now that I think with Judy, there's a combination of factors here, I, the quarterback play in Denver with drew lock and Brett Ripon and whoever else they had suiting up. <laughs> it, it wasn't great. Uh, and I think that that directly impacted Jerry Judy, of course. And so, and if they do, take a quarterback in the 2021 NFL draft class. If they do end up signing a someone else in free agency, like I think that that's a situation where we can look at Jerry Judy and say, okay, this is an upgrade. He's going to skyrocket back up my dynasty rankings. He's just kind of in limbo, right? Where it wasn't a great season, but I don't want to overreact and just completely plummet him. But outside of that, man, it's a very, very deep wide receiver class. And there are some guys that still have to prove it. Henry Ruggs, Jalen Rager. I mean, Brandon, Ayuk proved it, but he's got some quarterback situation. Debo Samuel, George Kittle back like, what does his involvement in the offense look like when they're all healthy and back? So, but outside of that, yeah, you've got Jalen Rager and Henry Ruggs, who are two pretty highly ranked guys. They've got to prove it heading into twenty twenty one.
1: Yeah, I mean we are very much in lockstep here because my my updated recent you know dynasty rookie rankings going into the off season, Jefferson's one, CD Lamb's two. T Higgins three. I definitely would have a tier break, you know, Jefferson, his own tier lamb and Higgins in their next tier. Then I still have Judy Ford because he was my favorite on film. Uh, It'll be interesting, though, because it's like we talk about the upgrade at the quarterback position, but then, you know, Cortland Sutton could be back. So does that, you know, limit the amount of targets his way? K.J. Hamler had some impressive moments this year showing that, you know, big playability. So it's like, okay, how many guys, you know, no offense, obviously, an athletic freak tight end. So it's like, okay, like, do they have a quarterback that can take advantage of these guys? You know, but I, I'm still a believer. The drops to me were a very weird issue this year. Like, that was not something that I thought was going to be an issue at the NFL. That wasn't wasn't on his tape at all. No, not at all. So that's going to be really interesting. And then you brought it up. If there are two guys that I would be circling as my buy low targets right now, it would be Henry Ruggs and it would be more than even him, Jalen Rager. And the news of Doug Peterson being fired and the potential uh, of Carson Wentz staying, I think actually makes Jalen Rager even more intriguing because. Jalen Hurts, like you said, was that little bit of that backyard style of play. You know, like that was going to make me a little concerning. And this is a guy, you know, I took Jalen Rager in some spots where I have a lot of regret. In multiple instances, you know, the type of player I was looking for, I, I took him over Justin Jefferson. In hindsight, couldn't have been more of a colossal disaster. But, but well, I still hey, have it's okay. It's okay. An NFL team did it too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it's one of those things where, I was looking for, I had my reservations about Jefferson and was he going to play the slot? I thought Adam Dillon as he continued to age was going to be best in the slot. So I I went for a guy who I thought had the capabilities to play on the outside, reminded me a ton of Brandon Cooks in the pre-draft process. So now I think Rager and Henry Ruggs, you can get them significantly at a reduced rate compared to where their draft uh, pick was last year in rookie drafts. You know, Jalen Rager was a universal, probably picked somewhere between 10th overall and 14th overall in most rookie drafts last year. You might be able to get him for a mid to late second round rookie pick right now. I would make that investment every single day. Henry Ruggs, same thing. He was probably picked a little bit after in most rookie instances than John Rager. Same thing. You know, I would, I would take a stab on him. So both of those guys, they had lackluster rookie season. Some of it was injury based. Some of it was per- performance based. Uh And I think guys like LaVisca Chenault and Brandon Ayuk and Chase Claypool will definitely uh, warrant more attention and probably are ahead of those two guys we just talked about in most people's rankings. So I think it opens the buying window for a guy like Jalen Rager and Henry Ruggs. Those would probably be my two value recommendations in terms of going to try to buy, because I don't think any of them would cost you a first round pick or top half of a round two pick uh, in terms of dynasty rookie pick. So I'm glad you brought those two guys up because that's where I was kind of going next with this. Anybody after that group, whether Denzel Mims is a wild card, KJ Hamler, KJ Hamler, uh, Brian Edwards, Gabriel Davis, Van Jefferson, Darnell Mooney, someone close to you there in Chicago, You know, Devin Duvernay, Quintus Cephas, if Marvin Jones moves on. Is there any of those guys that you're intrigued by? Mims probably is the most talented of the group, kind of stands a little bit alone there. Maybe not as much of a value as those other guys, but is any thoughts on Mims and maybe a new quarterback there with the Jets or any of those other guys as guys that you'd say, you know what, I'm going to try to get them on my team now. Kind of like we had the AJ Dillon conversation, get them on my team right. now. And if the off season breaks, right these guys could maybe emerge into a more significant role yeah
0: completely i mean i've got denzel mims uh the highest of this next group that you mentioned right so mims with the potential upgrade at the quarterback position but even if they do stick with darnold I think that that's a situation where Denzel Mims was raw coming in, right? Like he had, he shows some immense potential, but I think we could all say that he was pretty raw. So he needed that first year. Now he was in and out of the lineup. So he might need a little bit longer to progress, but I think Mims is a fine by low candidate, Brian Edwards. I was a big fan of his coming out. And I think that, uh, he's going to just, it's going to depend on what they do with Nelson Aguilar. Did they bring Aguilar back for next year, uh, in Las Vegas or does Brian Edwards ascend? And does he take a full-time full-time starting role? Cause I think that he can succeed in that role as a possession receiver, you know, Devin Duvernay is intriguing because they, I think they're going to move on from Willie Sneed. I was a huge fan of Devin Duvernay and what he brought to the table. And I think that, in a full-time slot role. Now it's not the best passing offense, right? But as far as volume, but yet Devin Duvernay can be that guy who can take just one or two passes and just take it to the Mm -hmm. house with his speed. So the other guy that I think is really intriguing is one that you mentioned and I'm forgetting. Oh, Quinta Cephas. Um, Cephas is interesting because looking at Detroit, they have no other receivers under contract in 2021 other than quintes Cephas and Geronimo Allison who opted out this year. Kenny Galladay is a free agent. Marvin Jones is a free agent. Danny, Danny Amendola, Muhammad Sanu, like everyone. So it's going to depend on what the coaching staff does. But Cephas is someone who I picked up off of waivers in my main dynasty league back in like week 10 or 11. And because he wasn't doing anything, right? He wasn't be outside of just stepping in, in a few spots, but he really wasn't doing anything, but yet I wanted to see like what this offense uh, offseason looks like in Detroit and do things break his way. Just like you said with A.J. Dillon, do things break his way. I think it will be someone you can get super, super cheap right now in Dynasty Leagues that could end up being a fantastic option, like the wide receiver, too, in Detroit next year.
1: Yeah. I I really, I'm a fan of Quintus Cephas. I remember when I came on the show with you guys last year after the combine, obviously he did not have a good combine, but I remember talking with you and and your co-host Mike Tagliere about Cephas, who I know he's a fan of too. And we talked about how, yeah, take the combine 40 out of it. Like that's not his game. That's not how he wins. And, you know, there were, you know, a lot of people were intrigued by him. I know Matt Waldman was another one that really liked Quintus his game. So I think he's a great flyer right now. To kind of see what happens with that Lions wide receiver group and Duvernay. When you were talking about him, the name that kind of popped in my mind is even in an offense that isn't very pass happy. I don't see a scenario where he can't be a Curtis Samuel-like player. Used in a variety of ways, using the slot, used on those jet sweeps, those end arounds. You know, it's kind of how Texas used them, you know, is last year right. in college. So I think he could be like a Curtis Samuel type player. And we serve Samuel be fancy viable this year, even as, you know, you can make the case when McCaffrey was actually healthy, the fourth passing option, you know, but if not most of the season, the third guy there. So I think, I do think Duvernay is a guy that, again, won't cost you a lot. Him, Cephas, guys. Get them on your roster. Kind of wait and see how the off season plays out so so much so many guys that are really intrigued this was one of the most I think one of the more remarkable years in terms of rookies making an impact in year one which we don't might have been the opposite considering COVID and, and no off season and no right. training camps really like it's amazing how many receivers and running backs you know and even quarterbacks had a significant impact even for fantasy redraft leagues. you know even in addition to dynasty leagues. so you know kind of impressive you know like we said tight end was the only one that really didn't You know, make much of an impact, but that'll change most likely in this upcoming year. Kyle, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. Greatly appreciate it. Uh, Please, I'm sure a lot of my audience listens to you guys, follows your work, but uh, anything you want to share about the podcast, what you guys are doing over at Fantasy Pros, you know, when you guys get back into podcasting more regularly, take it away and and let my uh, listeners know what's going on there.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, th- yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, it's always fun to chat with you. And so I'm excited to get you on to the pro- the podcast here as we move into the off season. We're going to be covering Dynasty a ton this year. So I'm really, really excited about it. Uh, nothing really else to promote. We're just kind of laying low for the time being, resting, recuperating. But then as soon as uh, as soon as we're ready, we're going to hit the ground running with some Dynasty content this offseason. So be ready. Uh, and again, you can find and follow me on Twitter at KyleYNFL.
1: Absolutely, guys. Make sure you're following him. Make sure you're following the, the football podcast, uh, subscribing to that, all great content. So on behalf of Kyle, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nicano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.